Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Giles Brandreth, and I'm sitting in the sitting room of my friend... Susie Dent. We're in Oxford, and indeed Susie used to work for the Oxford English Dictionary mm-hmm. some years ago. Mm-hmm. And we are both people who love words. Susie loves them professionally because, of course, she's famous as being the person in Dictionary Corner on Countdown and on 8 Out of 10 Cats Play Countdown. And I just love words because I love words. And we get together once a week to talk about them. Uh, let's be frank today. I say let's be frank <laughs> because we were being frank the other day and you were telling me about the origin of Frank and how Frank and frankincense, it must have been before Christmas, uh, all come together. Remind mm. me what you were telling me. Well, it goes back to the conquering Franks. So the race who I think themselves were named after their weapons. Uh, I think it might have been a spear. And they conquered all of Gaul, as it was, gave their name to modern day France. Um, but also because they were considered or considered themselves to be superior, anybody who was kind of blessed by them or was considered to be part of the in crowd were known as Franks. In other words, they were um, open and free and um, you know happy in society. And so to be frank with somebody is to be open and um, have no hold barred, really. And frank incense is a superior kind of incense. Oh, it's, it's all frank. about superiority. So if you're called Frank, mm. you are Frank. Do you feel Frank? Do you think if you're called Frank, you are a different person than if you were called Fred? Well, that's really interesting. Maybe we can come to this a little bit later because there's quite a lot of research done on what we have been talking about actually on the, on the show, um, nominative determinism. And we've had a lot of fun with our listeners on the names of people who actually fulfil their personality or their occupation. But also it works with first names and that's what we're talking about today, isn't it? First Good. names. First names. Yes. Giles, you know what yours, your word, you must know what your name means. Curiously, I don't know what Giles means. I felt it didn't mean anything. I I mean, I know it's an old name, mm. spelt with, in my case, a Y, sometimes spelt with an I. Have you avoided this all your life? Maybe I have. Mm, there may be a I reason. think it's because I once looked up my surname, Brandreth, yes. in the Oxford English Dictionary and felt and discovered that a Brandreth, the definition was a substructure of piles. <laughs> so I didn't dare look up Giles. Well, mine's not much better. What you is don't yours? get much better for dent. No, I agree, you don't. Mm. So... What does Giles mean? Well, it came in after 1066, so okay. Battle of Hastings, came with the Normans, and uh, medieval given name Giles, with an I at that point, it goes back to the Greek originally for a kid or young goat. Oh, I quite like that. Well, like you can a, be a young goat rather than an old goat. I liked, exactly, <laughs> a young mountain goat mm. darting over the mountains, a kid. Kidding about. Kidding about, that's fine for me, mm. young at heart. 
Give us some more of these words, these names. And what they well, mean. the first thing I should say is that first names are obviously a very personal choice uh, selected by a parent, very different from what are called patronymic names, surnames. And with surnames, there's a sort of huge history behind them and distinct patterns. Uh, with first names, it's much more hit and miss, but in quite a sort of gloriously random way. And I would just say I'm not a first names expert. So I've done a bit of research, but I would not say that I'm the sort of best person to judge on this. But let's just have some fun, shall we? Have some fun with first names. Themes. There are so many themes to first names. We must come to your kids because they've got extraordinary names, I think. But first of all, there's the kind of aspirational thing. So what would you like your child to become? Idea of nominative determinism there. So Clement, uh, we have Clement Attlee, Clement Freud, that means merciful. We have, of course, charity. We have faith. One of our children is called Charity as her middle name. Lovely. Scythrid is her first name. What does that mean? Charity is her middle name. My wife, who is the author of the Dictionary of First Names. This is the world authority on this. Your wife? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we should have her here. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, she doesn't know I come here. <laughs> this is a big secret. Don't let on. Um, so she was interested in history, and she read the um, Venerable Bede's History of the Church in oh, yeah. England, mm-hmm. and she came across Scythrid in there, who was a, a saint, uh, the daughter of King Anna, I think the King of the East Angles. S-A-E-T-H-R-Y-D. One of your predecessors of the OED, Dr. Robert Birchfield, yes. a great editor of that dictionary, yeah. told us, because we knew him at the time Scythrid was born, that probably it should be pronounced Sethrid. Okay. He, like Ingrid, Sethrid. Yeah, well, but Ethelred. we say Scythrid, her middle name is Charity. Lovely. So to the red name. bit, do you know what that means? Because I know red, R-E-D-E, could mean sort of prepared and ready. So no, that's... Well, she's ready. She's ready for anything she's what the world throws at her. Okay. And she's very charitable too. Good. So there's the sort of aspirational side of things. And those are coming back, actually. Lots of kids called Hope and Faith, um, beautiful names. Then you have the kind of occupations. Now, we know from surnames are loads of um, occupational names given to people. So Fletcher was an arrow maker, for example. Chandler was a candle maker, etc. And that works with first names as well. So George means earth worker. So probably a farmer. Um, and then you've got Casper, which is Persian for a treasurer. So the keeper of the money. Um, I think that's come back through. You've got Mason. Forgive me for interrupting. Casper the ghost is why Casper is popular. I don't think people are thinking of your money changer. No, no, I think they're just thinking it's a nice, lovely name. It's a sound. I really like it. But what were the other two you mentioned? Uh, We had Mason. So quite American and Harper, as in Harper Lee, obviously. And these are jobs, are they? Yeah, so those are occupations. A harpist, um, a Mason. Oh, a harper is a person who plays the harp. Yeah. Or it could be a maker of harps. Then you've got where you were born in the family. So this, particularly if you go back to Roman emperors and things, you'll have Octavius, the eighth child. Thomas means twin, originally. Gosh. Mm. So there are twins in the family. One might be called Thomas. One might be called Thomas, yes. Then there are physical characteristics. Um, Again, if you go back to surnames, you remember I talked about somebody called sweat in the bed and black in the mouth. Well, that applies to first names as well. So Calvin as in Calvin and Hobbes, brilliant cartoon strip, uh, means bald. Bald? Bald. No hair. Cameron means crooked nose. Yeah, to have a crooked nose. And then, of course, it went on to become the name of a Scottish clan, so that explains that. Kiara or Kira, that's Gaelic for black, um, maybe black skin or black hair. Alba, white, fair-skinned. Algernon, who would ever call their child Algernon these days? Well, if well you have, actually, Algernon, nice. Algy is, is quite nice, you see. Son? 
<laughs> that what it means, the third son? No, it no, it means having a moustache. <laughs> I see. You thought I might call it Jada. But actually, Algernon, it's again, uh, the name I might have, because it, uh, Algernon's one of the characters in Oscar Wilde's famous play, The Importance of Being Earnest. There is Algernon there. But, you know, um, Archibald mm. sounds like an old-fashioned name like Algernon. But Archie, Archie is Archie's lovely. The, 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 the Sussexes. Harry and Meghan. It's really famous. It's really popular They have a child called Archie, and Archie. that's a popular name. Yeah. So these are all physical characteristics, really. Um, Dexter would have been applied to someone right-handed. Mm-hmm. Ginger, as in Ginger Rogers, either short for Virginia, I think, or you've got red hair. Grant from the French grand, meaning tall, and so on. So these are kind of based on the way people look, although presumably babies weren't born balls. Or whether they are. <laughs> Sorry. Some babies are born bald. Why are you having the? Were your, were your baby, what did your babies look well, like? My tea, um, or with moustache is what I really wanted to say. Um, anyway, have, you know, isn't it funny? We have to say that all babies are born beautiful, but some many babies are born looking like Winston Churchill. <laughs> you know, they're not all born beautiful, but you've got to no. say they're all beautiful, haven't you? Well, they are beautiful to the beholder, as in the, the parent. Um, surnames you have as well: Winston, Harrison. Ross, that kind of thing. Sometimes those are applied to first names as well. Time of birth as well. Um, I haven't really thought about this one, but I suppose Christmas Day, we've got Noel. We have Natalie um, from the French um, as well, being born. And then you've got Carol, of course. Um, you've got April, some people called Tuesday. Um, it's particularly popular in America, I think. Well, Tuesday, yes, mm. indeed. There was an actress called Tuesday Weld, wasn't was. there? Yeah. There was. Um, and there was a famous actor called Frederick March. There was, in fact, he was Frederick March the second. And if Tuesday Weld had married Frederick March, she'd have been Tuesday March the <laughs> second. Uh, then you've got um, place of birth, uh, famously Brooklyn Beckham, I suppose. But you've got Brittany, you've got Lorraine, uh, Lorraine, Lorraine in in France. You've got Sierra as well, which is quite a nice one. And topographical names. I hadn't really thought about this either. But Glen and Cliff and Rock, as in Rock Hudson. So somebody presumably who is quite rugged and strong. Oh, interesting. Mm. I knew somebody genuinely who called their child Neesden because that's where they were conceived. Neesden Jones. That's just quite a nice name. They've got a sinus problem to me. (laughs) And so it goes on. And then you've got different languages coming into play as well. So you've got Hebrew, I mentioned with Susanna. You've got um, loads of Arabic, beautiful Arabic names for both Christian and Muslim choices as well. You've got Salim, meaning peaceful, Abdullah, servant of God. Muhammad, I think, means praiseworthy. You've got Germanic ones, which are quite sort of strong and uh, glorious and and kind of often quite warlike as well. You've got Slavic ones, Milena, Vezhna, Dobromir, and probably it's a lot of protection and peace and love um, behind those names. In the old days, people yeah. were named usually, weren't they, after saints, or often were named after yes. saints. People in the Bible, for sure. People, people in the Bible. So that's how many people for generations... Joshua, in, Joseph, in, in, David. In, exactly. Yes. yes, They got their names. Then there was a vogue for people being named after flowers, people of a certain generation. My grandmother's generation, people called things like Gladys. Yes. After the Gladiola. Yes. Um, flowers. Flowers are quite big, yes. actually. Hyacinth. Rhoda, as in Rose. rhododendron. Oh, Rhoda, really? I never thought about that. I think so. Okay. Hyacinth, as in bouquet. Iris, lily. I had an aunt called Auntie Hope. Yeah. And Auntie Hope, when she died, her husband, Wilfred, married again. And he married, in fact, Auntie Hope's cousin and indeed her best friend, who was called Beryl, after a precious stone. Again, Ooh. there's that, that period. There were Beryllium as well. People named after precious stones. And my father was asked to propose the toast 
at this second wedding, deuxième noce. And by then, the, the, they were grown-up people. I mean, they were, I think, in their 60s. So Hope had died, and Beryl was marrying Wilfred. And Beryl was a, a, a mature lady, a lady of riper years. And my father proposed this toast and said, let's raise our glasses to the happy couple and to the triumph of experience over hope. Oh. Well, I thought it was funny. He thought it was funny. <laughs> Everyone else at the wedding reception looked into their glasses, rather appalled. Oh. This unfortunate joke. Anyway, so you get flowers, you get stones, you get yes. saints. Jade is another one, isn't it, originally being named after the kidneys. I think we mentioned that, didn't we, because it was a medicinal cure if you laid it against your flanks. And are, are you telling me that these names affect people, so that if you're called well. uh, Lily, you expect to be a beautiful girl? Yes. I mean, sometimes I do think it's a little bit cruel. So being called Aphrodite means you've got quite a lot to live up to, uh, not least because Aphrodite gave us aphrodisiac. So Is Aphrodite a female name or a male name? Female. Fine. Yes. If you're called Goddess Romeo, I imagine that creates a problem too. I have a friend who's got be- luckily absolutely beautiful son called Romeo. But yes, it's true. And all these coming back in, Shakespearean names also coming back in, which I think is great. But yes, social scientists believe that names produce what they call, and you'll know all about this because you are an expert on them, Oscar Wilde, a Dorian Gray effect. So the idea is that names influence our personality, how we're perceived, and even our physical appearance. We ought to remind people the picture of Dorian Gray is a novel. Yeah. by Oscar Wilde, in which the character, Dorian Gray, is painted. He grows old in the painting, but he himself stays young. Mm. Yes, yeah, so the, the painting idea. takes on all the sort of physical excess, isn't it? The and he of- lives a, a life of debauchery and the painting grows more grotesque as the years go by yeah. and he remains as beautiful as ever. Yeah. So there's something called the Dorian Gray effect. And what does what happens there? Well, the idea is that our physical traits in turn impact how other people perceive us, which again affects how we feel and see ourselves. And so it, it goes on. But they think that names kind of operate in the same way. So if you, um, yeah, if you, if you were called Kevin, for example, well, Kevin in America, is is a hero's name. I mean, it's a really strong name. It's slightly ridiculed over here, isn't it, It's a Kevin? gerbil over here, isn't it, Kevin? <laughs> it's a gerbil. I, my very first crush when I studied in uh, America was on this gorgeous boy who I never managed to talk to, really. I, I used to work in a porter's lodge at Princeton University, and he just, he was an Adonis, and he should have been called Adonis, instead of which he was called Kevin. <laughs> I was so disappointed when I heard that. But to everyone else, Kevin was fine and strong and, you know, reflected his personality perfectly. Um, sadly, notice me yeah so the thing is if you are called rose for example you might then act in a very feminine way perhaps where is if you're called i think the study was saying if you're called alex which can be male or female then you might actually in that way sort of be perfect you know comfortable in your own body and be and happy to sort of mix both masculine and feminine it sounds bollocks isn't it but actually think of being called bollocks (laughs) hello it's bollocks brandreth you can call him bonnie for short Oh, arse ropes. Back to arse ropes. Arse ropes, don't. Um, I've got a son called Bennett. B-E-N-E-T. Okay. And this, of is course... Is that blessed, right? It's blessed. Yeah. It's as in Benedict. It's the same name as Benedict. And um, But he's had a lifetime of people calling him Benet. Hello, Benet. Oh, is he be... Ben for short? He doesn't really like that. He prefers oh. to be called Bennett. Okay. It, of course, it is a surname with two N's and two T's, but mm. he is Bennett as in being blessed, B-E-N-E-T. Okay. He's coped with that. Uh, of our three children, the, the youngest is called Afra, A-P-H-R-A. Mm. And of course, Afra, we named her after the first woman to earn her living as a writer Excellent. in this country. 
Mrs. Afra Ben. Oh, that's lovely. And that links into Bennett and so on. So have you got a game, I think? Well, I'm quite excited because you mentioned Dorian Gray. Yeah. And if you take the word Dorian, you can rearrange the letters and what do you get? Mm. Another everyday English word? Mm. Ordain. Oh, I thought you meant another name. Yeah, Ordain. Oh, it's not bad, is it? No. So my game, this is what I want to challenge people to do, okay. and they can do this during the break or they can just do this for life, is to take a, a name and rearrange the letters to form an everyday English word. Mm, nice. I'll give you, well, we'll do a couple to show them how it works. Rodney. Rodney, that's a good, strong name. Delboy and Rodney. What's the word? R-O-D-N-E-Y. Um, I should be really good at this, but without pen and paper, I'm actually oh. rubbish. It's like Does a Lawrence, big countdown game. Yonder. 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 Nice. Lawrence in the distance, our producer is calling out. Yonder. And he's got it right. I'll give you one more. Andrew. Andrew is Wanda. That's Yonder right. and Wanda. I like Isn't that. that good? Yeah. Ivan. Um, Vane. Vane. Very good. So I'll give people a few more and they can ponder it while we have the break. Brian. Craig. Ernest, Stephen, Alfred, and Gerald. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I figured out what Gerald is. Oh, doing an anagram of the name Gerald? Unscramble it. What do you give us? Larged. As in she larged it. Oh, she larged it. Well, that's very good. My version had been glad, mm, okay. which is an older very word. Nice. I gave you Brian, which can become brain. brain. Craig can become cigar. Mm-hmm. Ernest can become enters. Stephen can become events. Alfred can become flared. Nice. But it's quite a fun thing to do. You know, I, I sometimes have... Difficulty getting to sleep. Mm-hmm. I think this is either, as my wife says, it must be a bad conscience. I say it's fear of death. I'm lying there awake thinking I'm going to be dying. And I think you can't die if you're awake, so I better stay awake. Uh, and then I think, no, it's four in the morning. I've got to get to sleep now. So I'm going to try and come up with names that I can turn into words, mm-hmm. first names. And having done a lot of boys' names, I'm now moving on to the girls' names. And Mabel has given me Amble. Bertha, I love. Big Bertha has given me breath. Carol has given me coral. Lydia has given me daily. Edna has given me dean. Anyway, I've gone right the way through it. Uh, the furthest I've got down the alphabet, because I tried to do it alphabetically, I got to Rose giving me saw. And then I did Esther turned into threes. That's rather mm-hmm. good. And I had a sister called Hester. That also can be made into threes. And Astrid, triads. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. That's very good. There is a word, actually, I was just looking it up, which um, the writer Mark Forsyth discovered. I think he discovered it. Sometimes I think, you know, there are authors who make things up deliberately just to see how often it catches on. Very clever, um, I have to say. But it's a lovely old English word, Mark says. um, And it's, I think, care, U-H-T-C-E-A-R-E. And it's just what you have, Giles. It's that anxiety experience, usually just before dawn, when you wake up too early 
and you're so worried about things, everything becomes ridiculously excessively inflated in your mind. It's all catastrophic. What's the word again? Oot care. U-H-T-C-E-A-R-E. I, That's Mark's word. I do suffer from this because yeah. I've got nothing to worry about in the world mm. and yet I'm anxious every morning. Mm. Anyway. And also that's Matutalipia, which was one of my trio from long ago. Grief of the Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about names and uh, and the anagrams of names. Some people call their child a Simone because they know that um, you can make an anagram of that and it becomes monies. So oh, if you want nice. your, your daughter in the monies, call her Simone. We didn't even mention that, of course, there are those male-female sort of flips in language. So you have Francis, Frances and Francesca, etc. So you have a lot of kind of gendered um, first names, a lot of riffs like that. And sometimes, of course, things are named after names, aren't they? Like uh, hurricanes are named after, tempests are named after girls' names, aren't they? Hurricane Oh, Annie. I see what you mean. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We, we ascribe names to um, meteorological phenomena, don't we? Yeah, storm. There hasn't been a storm since And a few years ago, I had something called a TESA, which was a tax-exempt special savings account. Mm-hmm. A TESA. And I was quite pleased because you could make an anagram of that, which was... Asset. So uh-huh. I had a tessa that was an asset. That's probably why it was called a tessa. Yeah, maybe. Little backronym there. Have we had letters from people this week? We always get great letters from people. We call them letters. They're actually emails usually, aren't they? Or they're tweets. And you can communicate with us at purple at something else dot com. Yes. Something without the G. Yeah. I have um, one from Alan Guest um, throwing the book at someone. He was wondering if this book is the Bible um, but no, it's not the Bible. It was a sort of notional legal tome, if you like, that judges have at their disposal. And so they give them every sentence in the book. That's oh. the idea, um, which is quite nice. One of you got one there? I've got a couple here relating to when we talked about the word dumb and the pronunciation of the B at the end mm-hmm. of the word dumb. Uh, Dylan Plantega, I hope I pronounced the name correctly, he comes from Canada. It's quite exciting. We have listeners all over the world. I love it. And he says, hi, Susie and Giles, I'm Dylan from Canada. What's the origin of the word dumb, D-U-M-B? I remember as a kid watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and in one of the tunes they used the line, ho-hum, the tune is dumb, the words don't mean a thing. That was in 1937. Didn't know Snow White was as old as that. Anyway, how far does dumb go as far as the origins of the word? So dumb, how old a word is it? I would, I'm just looking it up in the OED, Dylan, but I would expect, because it's Germanic, they have dumm, a dummkopf, obviously. It was, people know that in German for a, um, a stupid, stupid person, yeah. stupid head. Yeah, the year thousand, so we're looking to, at Old English, really. And it would have been definitely pronounced dumb, and eventually that B would have dropped off. Why did the B drop off? Um, just because of easy, ease of pronunciation, really. Because we, when we inherit a word from another language... We try to stick with that language as much as possible, but in the end, it often does prove impossible. And so we kind of adapt it to the English tongue. On the same lines, Kevin Bradley has been in touch. Hi, Susie and Giles. When you were talking about the silent B on words like thumb, numb, etc., it made me think, is that a word? And if so, where does it come from? For people like me who were born with extra digits. Oh, he's a polydactyl. Oh, mm. a polydactyl. Polydactyl. I was born with an extra left thumb, which was removed in childhood. I used to work with someone who was born with an extra right thumb and still had it and had to have work gloves specially made. Oh, amazing. Anyway, love the podcast. Best wishes, Kevin Brackley. So he was born a polydactyl. He now isn't a polydactyl, but his friend 
remained a polydactyl. That's amazing. And remember that the B and thumb wasn't ever pronounced. It just followed suit. It was a bit of a copycat and also probably was influenced by thimble. Would you describe Anne Boleyn as a polydactyl? Because, you know, rumour had it that she had three breasts or at least three nipples. Really? She was Yeah. Oh, she was triple nippled. <laughs> Never. Oh, that was well known. Well, Why did I it, miss I this agree. in my history lesson? <laughs> yeah, I'm having a coughing fit. <laughs> it doesn't feature much in the six it's wives. It's got horrible histories. I have to check with my friend Greg. But no, Wilson. I believe that Anne Boleyn was triple nibbled. That's wow. the rumour that went round. Difficult to prove, How useful. Uh, well, I suppose so. For babies, I mean. But is there a word for being triple nippled? I have no idea. I'll come triple back to you on that one. Do. But would polydactyl <laughs> apply? No, because a dactyl is a digit, is it's it? It's digit, yes. So you've it got, comes that's from, fingers and toes. Yeah, and it's related to date, the dates in our calendar, because um, we count, used to count them on fingers. And it's related to the date that we eat, because the trees have leaves that look like fingers as well. So dactyls are everywhere. And a pterodactyl as well, winged finger. We've got time for one more Letter yes, this that week. was really interesting. Jamie Barley. Good day, Susie and Giles. I just want to say how much I love your podcast. It's a staple of my week. That's a generous thing to say. Thank you. My question for you isn't exactly a question about the English language, but rather the French. How come there are so many French words in the English language, even though the English historically hated the French? Specifically in my mind, some pretty words like protéger, café, déjà vu, faux pas, and some phrases such as je ne sais quoi and avant-garde. Hope you have a good day. Salut, Jamie. Oh, thanks, Jamie, for that excellent question, because I often talk about 1066 and all that, and um, I don't really go into a lot of detail. But essentially, when Harold was defeated and William the Conqueror came in, uh, he could speak no English. So when he, uh, during his coronation, he spoke entirely in French or Latin, and he had to have a translator. Mm. Um, He brought with him his French court, and the only language they knew was French. And because French was the language of those in power and of the nobility, thousands and thousands thousands of words came into um, the English language. Some we resisted, some we, I think, probably quite happily took on. But what resulted for a while was what was called Anglo-Norman. So it was a kind of mixture of English and French all sort of mushed together. It was a really interesting time linguistically. Nowadays, of course, so many of the words that we use are French and we have no clue that that's their heritage because they're so happily settled in our language. Probably like heritage. Like heritage, probably. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so many, uh, obviously, that would go back to um, to Latin ultimately, and most of them do. When we talk about having so many Latin and classical words in our language, most of them came to us via French. Winston Churchill, a great orator, he used to say that he preferred Anglo-Saxon words. He used to say the best words are the old words, and the best of the best words are the short old words. Mm-hmm. And was if he thinking you, of swear words then? No, he was no. thinking of like his great speeches, blood, toil, tears and sweat. Oh, yeah. And mostly the language he used was Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. That, those are the words come more from Germany. Yes. And Anglo-French words come, Anglo-Norman words. Anglo-Norman come French. And eventually there's a great amalgamation. Mm-hmm. Well, we just speak to this day a complete mishmash of various languages. That and that's is, why we love it. That's also why it's the richest language in the world. Absolutely. Because as the great Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the English language is a mighty river into which so many tributaries have flowed. Mm. Which yeah. French has been traditionally the diplomatic language. Yeah. Does that date back literally a thousand years then, do you think? To Yeah, no, absolutely. To the and certain of the aristocratic pursuits like falconry, for example, um, or all of those words oh, came from French. Fencing, hunting, 
all of those came from French. And they still use the French lingo. Quite often. La langue française. Uh, la langue française. And of course, the poor French, they tried to protect their own language for centuries mm. by having this special académie. They still have it. Which tries to protect them and keep out words like le weekend, le snack bar, mm -hmm. even le feel good factor. Mm -hmm. But they've had to accept it's a world. It was quite interesting. I did um, a program for Radio 4, actually, which is coming out this year on the battle for English and whether English will eventually be superseded. Um, by um, Chinese, by Spanish, and by Arabic, etc. And I spoke to a lot of students at an English language school, and I said, I asked them that very question, how many of the words that you use in your native language still come from English? And they just reeled them off. Every bit of modern technology has gone, they use the English word for it. Um, so it's still incredibly powerful. Oh, English is the language of the world. <laughs> if I may say so, English is the lingua franca it of is mankind. The lingua franca. Yeah, it is. Will it stay that way, though? Fascinating question. It will, as long as we're podcasting. <laughs> have you got three new words for us this week? I have. I've got one with a bit of a story behind it. Ultra crepidarian. Ultra crepidarian. Yes. Ultra means extreme. Yes. Crepidarian. I don't know. Decrepit is something to being decrepit? Um, no. Ah. Actually, it's a very useful word. Um, kind of goes with mumpsimus, which was one of my trios a while ago. Mumpsimus is somebody who insists that they're right, despite clear evidence that they're wrong. An ultra crepidarian is somebody who gives opinions on matters way beyond their knowledge. Oh, it's we all the story know one of, of my life. Thank you. Um, and it comes from a, a classical story. It's very long, so I will just give you the short version. But it was uh, Pliny the historian recorded that a famous Greek painter called Apelles put his pictures where the public could see them and then would sneak around the corner to listen to their comments on his paintings. And a shoemaker apparently once faulted the painter for a sandal because it didn't have enough loops in it. So Apelles duly went and corrected that. And then the shoemaker, who was so proud of himself for having actually single-handedly changed the painting, that he started to criticise the subject's leg on the printer, at which point Apelles had had enough. And he replied with expletives gone, I imagine, that the shoemaker should not judge beyond his sandals or ultra crepidam beyond the soul because he knew Whoa. nothing of anything apart from shoes. That was the idea. So ultra crepidarian goes back to that lovely story. I think I it's wonder, a brilliant word. In, in street slang nowadays, your creps are your trainers. I wonder if it goes back to that same, not to the same story, but the same, um, you know, sole of your shoe. Anyway, I need to look that up. It's good. This, this, tune into this programme if you want to learn how the younger generation are now talking. Mm -hmm. And if you want to sound like an old fart, you can use the word, <laughs> you can use the word quidnunc. Which means... Oh, quidnunc. That, funnily enough, that is the sort of word that my father did love. Quidnunc, what does it mean? It's a nosy person, a sticky beak. Uh, it comes from the Latin, what now, what now, what now, what's going on? But that's what it means, what yeah. now? what now, quidnunc. A quidnunc, oh, nosy. You like that one? I like, what do you call a sneaky beak? A sticky beak. A sticky beak. You're sticking your beak into, you're sticking yeah. your nose into other people's business. Yeah. A sticky beak is a quidnunc. That's not one of my trio, by the way. I just threw that one in for good measure. And my third one is kiddlywink. Oh, um, as opposed to tiddlywink. Well, it can be a tiddlywink as well. So a kiddlywink and a tiddlywink were once old slang terms for a pub, actually, believe oh. it or not, uh, where you got a bit tiddly and maybe then had a bit of a shut eye. You winked. Remember, the first meaning of wink was to close your eyes, mm -hmm. hence hoodwink. So not quite sure why, but especially in Cornwall, they're known as kiddlywinks um, in old dialect. So I just like that one. I'm off to the kiddlywink. No one will have a clue what you mean. Three lovely words. 
I think you're brilliant, Susie Dent. No, likewise. Uh, well, no, I really do. I'm going to leave people with a few more names that they can have fun trying to unravel. Just sort of tease yourself. I'm, these are everyday English words that also can be the names, first names of people, okay? I give you hurt, H-U-R-T. I give you ideal, I-D-A-L. I give you, this is a tricky one, riding. I give you road. And I'll give you one boys one as well, sinned. You've got to turn mm. those, take those words. Got those ones, I reckon. Did you get all of those? Um, well, I'm not going to give the answers, but I think so. Aren't you a clever clock? No, I, it's possibly because I'm switched on. Also, you got the book in front of me. Yeah, well, <laughs> you are a clever clogs. That's it for this week. We have a fresh one every Tuesday. Don't forget, please give us a, a nice review if you can or recommend us to a friend. If you've got a question you'd like us to answer or just want to get in touch, uh, email us at purple at somethingelse.com. That's something without the G. We like to be different. Purple at somethingelse.com. <laughs> and Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett. Thank you, Lawrence. With additional production, stop clicking your biro. With additional production from Jemima Rathbone, Steve Ackerman, and Gully. The biro clicking was the best bit. <laughs> <laughs>